Anyway, hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully you do, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 5 in those. That's where we'll be uh, mostly today. I'm gonna, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, uh, and, and I hope to show you guys some more prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled those things, and uh, we'll look at those. Um, as you're turning there, let me make mention next Sunday night from 6 to about 7.30, will be our family or just our church-wide, what we call our family Christmas dinner. And so uh, if you're attending here, if you're a member here, uh, if you're visiting today, uh, you are invited to come to that next Sunday night. Uh, Again, that'll be from 6 to 7.30 to be right here. Uh, We'll transform all of this into a place to host uh, people for supper. Uh, We've got a lot of fried turkeys coming for sure. Uh, And so what we're going to do is the church will take care of the meat and the drinks, And we're asking all of you who attend to either bring a side or a dessert, or if you just really love us, you can bring one of each. And and so as a part of that, would you sign up at the welcome table before you leave and just mark if you're bringing a dessert or a side uh, or both on there. Uh, That way we can kind of have a good idea of how much food we'll have uh, for next week. Again, you can sign up at the welcome table. That's next Sunday night from 6 to 7.30. It'll be fun. We're going to have some games for the kids. We'll have some games for uh, the adults. We had some good competition last year. Uh, some funny stuff take place. So I'm looking forward to spending some time with you guys. And then, uh, But mostly it's just a night to come and have fun together. Amen. So I invite you guys to come uh, out for that. Hope you can make it. All right, so we are in the second Sunday of what we're calling Advent. This is our Advent series. Uh, And so last week we looked at uh, hope. This week we'll be talking about peace. But I wanted to take just a second. Uh, Jordan talked a little bit about it earlier, about what Advent is. And uh, and so I want to talk to you. Advent means coming. And so we, as we look at Advent or we think about the Advent season, what we're thinking about is the first coming of Jesus Christ, where He comes... Uh, He gives up all His rights in heaven. He comes to earth as a baby in a manger, dwells among us for uh, 33 years, and then gives His life for us uh, on the cross, is resurrected then, uh, and establishes uh, Himself over sin and death. He becomes King of kings, Lord of lords. And so as we remember that birth around the Christmas season, we're also considering and thinking about when he'll come again. And so that'll be the second advent. That'll be his, his return as king of kings. And so uh, the reason we do advent and the reason a lot of churches do advent is because how many of you know the Christmas season gets a little bit chaotic, right? I mean, it's just a little bit overblown. There were people at Walmart at 5 p.m. or earlier on Thanksgiving Day thinking about Christmas. So uh, you people are crazy if you were there. That's all I have to say, right? And and so there's people who, or what happens is is the season is so bananas, it's so bonkers that we, we start thinking about the gifts, we start thinking about all the plans, we think about everything but Jesus, And so we've got kind of a neat opportunity this year where Christmas falls on a Sunday morning, and so we can come to church and and worship Jesus on on His birthday. And and so the point of Advent is to invite you all in every single week uh, leading up to Christmas for four weeks and to consider Jesus, His first coming and His second coming and what that means. And so uh, I hope, my hope for you is that this is a time of rest for you, this is a time of, of refocusing or recentering on Jesus as you get ready to, to start your next week and as you think about all the things that will be happening 
uh, this month. And so uh, we hope that for you today. Today we're going to talk about peace. And so there's four things that resulted from the first advent of Jesus. We had uh, hope and peace and joy and love. And so today we're on the subject of peace. But let me pray for us today. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us before we get rolling. Father, we come before you today. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, we praise you for the first coming of Christ. Uh, God, we praise you that you sent your son uh, for us and that he dwelt among us and was fully human, yet fully God. And so we praise you uh, for his life today. And as we remember it today, Father, we want to specifically think about the peace that Jesus brought or the peace that resulted in Jesus' coming. Uh, and that peace is between us and you now. And so, Father, we pray that you would let this word sit on our hearts today. Help us to grow in it and help us to grow in our knowledge and our love for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there was a man by the name of Dr. Robert Oppenheimer. He was the uh, scientist who supervised uh, the, the creation of the first atomic bomb. And, and so after it was created, uh, they knew how devastating it would be. They knew what they were doing. And uh, he's sitting before this panel, and they're asking questions, just kind of rapid fire. What, uh, what's this thing like? And then finally somebody asked, and there's a crowd there also. Finally somebody asked, they said, is there a way to limit the damage? Is there any defense against the bomb? And Dr. Oppenheimer, he, he, he said, certainly there is. And he just kind of paused, and he leaned forward, and he looked at the crowd, and he said, peace. Peace is the only way to limit the damage of this bomb. And so I, as I read that story uh, sometime last year, I, I, I began to think, man, there's maybe not a better description of anything uh, or from anything of what our sin means as far as an atomic bomb uh, in our relationship with God. It separates, it obliterates any chance we have at that and what we need, and that's peace. And so if we don't want to experience the destruction of that sin, then we need God's peace. And so what I mean by that is, uh, is that sin obliterates our chance at a relationship with God straight up. And what I mean by straight up is uh, without help on our own. If we were to face God on our own, we don't measure up to His standard of righteousness ever without Christ. And so that's kind of the point of what we're going to be talking about today. In the Old Testament, what you see, uh, if you're any kind of familiar with the Old Testament, is you, you hear a lot about sacrifices. And so people had to present themselves to God uh, in, in a way that they made sacrifices to atone for their sin at that time. And, and, and so, but God, throughout the Old Testament, we looked at a bunch of them last week, and I'll show you some more today. Throughout the Old Testament, God is promising His people that it won't always be this way. I won't always demand sacrifices. I'm coming to rescue. Sin won't always have dominion over you. And so he's just he's leading them along in this, and he's just giving them glimpses of hope. All the while, they're experiencing destruction. Uh, they're experiencing sin, and they're battling with that. They're going through all the rituals and sacrifices. I mean, if you've looked at the Old Testament at all and read uh, what the sacrifices were like, I mean, it is extremely detailed. If you commit certain sins, you had to present two turtle doves. If you couldn't afford or didn't have two turtle doves, then you went and stole two pigeons off the local building, and you presented those things uh, kind of as an atonement for your sacrifice. You had to uh, slaughter cows and other animals animals. And there was just a ton, and it was a messy uh, mess, right? 
And, and there was a lot of that that went on in the Old Testament. And all the while, God's saying, it won't always be this way. But there's hope, right? And that's what we looked at last week. Peace is coming. And so that's what I want to be able to show you uh, here in just a moment. Uh, and then what we see in Isaiah 9, uh, and I read it last week, it may pop up up here, but we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and then it goes on to say, His name shall be called Prince of Peace. And there's other names uh, there as well, but Prince of Peace. And so when they're hearing this, they immediately begin to think of earthly peace, like peace on earth. And what God means in this is not necessarily peace on earth, but peace between God and man. No more sacrifices, no more violating God's law, no more uh, lack of a mediator between us and God, no more having to try to face Him straight up and failing over and over and over. And so uh, God makes a way, and he, he says through Isaiah to God's people that a child will be born. His name will be called Prince of Peace. And then what we see in the New Testament is Jesus. We see there's a new covenant with Jesus Christ who became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. And so that's what Prince of Peace means. Prince of Peace means that Jesus is peace with God for all who believe. And so it's not, it's not for all men and not for all women. It's not for everyone. It's for all who believe. And so what that means is that there's a decision that must be made. There's a response that must happen between what God has done for us and who we are in the way that we choose to live our lives. And so it's for all who believe and anyone who believes then becomes God's people. And so, uh, it, not only does this bring eternal peace, but I believe that there's a daily peace now that we can have because of Jesus. And I don't mean uh, a tranquil life with no problems, no sufferings. How many of you know that's not realistic, right? With, with no issues, perfect days. I mean, I, I'm not sure perfect days exist, right? There, there's just always something that violates what we think would be the perfect day. There's a lot of nights where I go to bed and I just praise God for a normal day, right? Like, man, that was just, it might not have been perfect, but it was just normal. Like, I'm grateful that my, my kids only hit each other a few times today instead of a lot, right? And, and there's some days I'm just celebrating that as a victory. Like, man, this is awesome, right? And, and so we, we laugh, but it's true. There's just no such thing as perfect, tranquil days with no, no something, right? There's always going to be something. And so the peace must be something deeper. It, it can't just be that my days are perfect. It, it can't just mean that there's peace on earth. One day there will be peace on earth, but it's not today. It may not be tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to be. One day God will say it's time, right? And Jesus will return and all will be set right. But until then, I want to experience something deeper than this um, surface level peace that we all seem to be striving for. I, I used to think, um, I, I used to promise God that, that I would stop sinning. And so recently I, I, I've talked about uh, my sin and how it, Satan used to, or the enemy would just torment me with my sin and that, that he would rob me of all peace. He would uh, give me shame and guilt, and I would begin to just feel those things, and I, I felt paralyzed in that. 
Like, I, I can't make moves for God anymore. I can't get past the ceiling with my prayers kind of thing. You know, we've heard those talks before. And, and so I just felt like, man, my, my sin is killing me, right? And, and it's ruining my life. It's ruining my relationship with Christ. And I didn't, I, what it was and what I see now, and, and as in recently, is that I, I see that my sin is not because of Christ. My sin is not the atomic bomb trying to obliterate my life anymore because Christ has covered my sin. He's covered my past sin, my present sin, and my future sins. Amen? And so now there is peace with God, and I can experience peace. And so my sin is bad. My sin is wrong. I get that. But my sin doesn't have to paralyze me anymore because Jesus has covered those things already. So I want to fully explain those things, hopefully today, and let you see how we can walk in this daily peace. Um, and, and so I got to this place where when I was struggling with that, that I would just get before God and I would be in pain, I would be crying, I'd, I, I would be sad, I would be uh, mad most of the time that my sin was causing disruptions in my relationship with God. And I remember laying on my face on more than one occasion and just promising God, I'll never do that again. I'll never sin again. I'll, I'll never make that decision again. And then what? Like maybe the same day, if, it was, if I was really lucky, it'd be the next day I was doing the same thing again, right? It's like, man, what is the deal here? And I just kind of got to this place where I was imagining God kind of looking down on me. And this may be heresy, but this is just for me. So uh, I was imagining God just kind of looking down on me and saying, Kyle, you, you have no idea that all of this has already been covered. And you're allowing it to paralyze, you're allowing it to bring this guilt and shame, and you're allowing the enemy to torment you and to keep you from doing the things that I have planned for you. And, and I just imagine God saying, poor Kyle, here he is again, promising to never sin again, of which he'll never be able to do. So now he'll, be, he'll feel guilty for making the promise and breaking the promise and the sin, right? And it's just shame upon shame upon shame. And so I finally began to see that my pride was causing me to do that. There was something in me that thought I was awesome. That There was something in me that thought, man, I'm good enough or uh, I'm righteous enough to never sin again. And so I would make these promises that I could never keep. And I just imagined God being like, goodness gracious, here he is again, right? And I was wrong in this. There was no way that I could quit sinning. There's still no way that I can stop sinning. But what I can stop is allowing the enemy to paralyze me for those sins. What I can do is recognize those sins, repent of those sins, confess those things if I need to, to someone and to Christ, and, and then keep moving forward. And so I think that you guys probably can identify in one way or another what it's like to have sin torment you, even as believers. And, and so... Uh, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a sin that we would call a bondage. It's just this reoccurring sin, this thing you just cannot get past. Maybe it's a, a hard heart, and so you know what God's asking you to do, but you can't do it but because you don't want to. You just keep turning away from God. You're like, I don't want to do that thing. You keep hardening your heart and moving forward. Maybe it's something completely different than any of those. One thing is for sure, I think we've all been at this place where we have no peace in our life. And we just feel tormented by sin. We feel tormented by the things that we continue to do wrong. And we're begging God, 
bring me some peace. And God's answer to us today is peace has already come. Amen? Peace has come. And so both Isaiah and Ezekiel, as well as Micah, begin announcing good news of peace. And I'm going to read just a few things here. We've got Isaiah 52, 7 uh, says this, says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then in Isaiah 54.10, we see this. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Amen? Says the Lord who has compassion on you. So again, this is before Christ comes. He's promising Something's coming. There's a new covenant of peace that's coming, coming, and it will not depart from you. It will remain with you forever. Ezekiel 37 backs all this up as well. He says this, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So again, Jesus is coming. He's going to make a covenant of peace, and it will be an everlasting covenant covenant. Praise God. And then in Micah, and you don't have this one, Zach, so don't worry about it. Uh, In Micah, what we see is he's talking about Jesus coming. He says, this one will be our peace. He says, this one, this guy, this Messiah that's coming, he will be our peace. And then Jesus, when he begins his earthly ministry, he begins to announce the peace that he's bringing. In John 14, 27, we see him say this. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is saying there will be peace for you. John 16, still one of my favorites ever. It's real simple. It says this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what he's saying is in Christ you will have peace. In the world as we live today, there will be no peace. There will be tribulation, there will be troubles always. But take heart because Christ has overcome the world and one day, one day, one day, you'll get to experience that overcoming power, the perfect restored heaven and earth and we'll get to dwell in that forever with Christ in perfect peace. Amen? So we look forward to this and we know now that peace with God came through justification of Jesus. The justification of Jesus is Him going to the cross. He, uh, we, we read a lot of this in Isaiah 53 uh, last week where it says that the Lord was pleased to crush Him. God was pleased to crush His Son. Why? That there may be peace between Him and mankind again. Amen? And, and so we see that peace came, but how did it come? What does it mean for us that peace is here? Romans 5.1 is going to explain this really well. And this is really the verse I want us to look at uh, today and not much else. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So therefore, since we have been justified by our faith in Jesus, we have peace. Why? Because of Jesus. Because he lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He was the perfect sacrifice, something that none of us could ever be on our own. And he rose again, defeating sin and death forever. And so now, just simply by your faith in Christ, you can be free from the power of sin and death on your life, and you will one day experience everlasting joy with Christ forever. Amen? So there's now this opportunity, as, he said, as, as Paul writes here, to have peace with God. So before that, we were at war with God. Before the justification that was given to us by Christ, we were at war with God just simply because we're sinners. It's not really that you and I are saying, man, I want to go to war with God. You're just born into war with God. You're born with the sin nature. And so our sin nature separates us. Our sins separate us from God, and we must have Jesus. And so God, again, throughout the Old Testament, He's promising Jesus, the Messiah's coming. He'll be born. He'll spring up from a root of Jesse. And, and He just promises so sweetly over and over again that this will not last forever. Amen? That peace is coming. And so one of, there's two things that I think we need to know about peace today. Number one is this. Faith gives you a state of peace. Faith changes your identity. You go from a state of just destruction and disruption and no peace to now because of our faith in Christ Jesus, we can have peace with God forever. So you get a new state. Uh, Corinthians is going to tell us that we get a brand new life. You get a brand new identity. All the old things have passed away. And so we have a new uh, faith gives us a state of peace. With faith, your relationship to God changes. You're taken from unrighteous dead person to righteous live person, according to Ephesians 2, who says that we were spiritually dead before Christ. Apart from Jesus, we are unholy, unworthy, and unrighteous. And God, again, we said it earlier, but He's totally holy. He's totally worthy. He is totally righteous. You and I don't measure up in any way we want to write the equation on our own. We just don't meet the standard. And so we need our state to be changed, and our state is changed through faith. And so I know that it's hard to hear this, but God before Christ, as believers before Jesus, as unbelievers, God is perfectly just in destroying us for all of eternity because our sin violates the nature of a holy God. Amen? And so I want it to sink in this morning just how much we need Christ. Just how lost we are without what God did for us. And that without Christ, you and I were destined for an eternity in hell. And that only by Jesus Christ can we experience eternity in heaven forevermore. And it's through faith. What does faith do? Again, it gives you a state of peace. There's now peace between you and the Creator. And so God, being rich in mercy, as Ephesians 2 tells us, loved us 
even when we were dead, it says, and He made us alive with Christ. So He who, uh, to, to quote another scripture here, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. And so again, Jesus Christ was perfect. He was the perfect Son of God. God gives Him to us as a baby in a manger. He walks perfectly with God. And even as He's about to give His life away, He's still praying, God, is there another way to do this? Why? Because it was going to be extremely painful. And He's asking, is there another way? And then he finally says, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? And so he leads the way in how to follow God, but in doing so, he perfectly atones for sin forever. And so by faith, we have peace with God. We've been justified by Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And so when you place your faith in Jesus, God now declares you justified. He, he declares you now as holy, as worthy, as righteous, but not because you're awesome in all of those things. It's because of Jesus inside of you. It's because of your faith in Christ now that when God looks at us, He no longer sees sinners separated from me forever. He sees saint because of the blood of Jesus Christ, my child, my son, my daughter. And so we can enjoy perfect union with God again because of Christ. God gave us His Son. He extends an offer of peace, and He says it happens through faith. And so a rescue that was promised thousands of years in advance, which was Jesus to become the Prince of Peace. And so as believers, we rejoice in Jesus because He's given us peace. As believers, we can stand here on the second Sunday of Advent talking about peace and say, praise God that I have peace with Him because of His Son. Praise God that He's taken away my sins forever. I don't have to worry about being separated from God anymore. Amen? As unbelievers, if there be any in here, you need to know that you are just naturally at war with God. And it's a war that you'll never win on your own. If you have to face on Judgment Day, God straight up, without a mediator, without that atoning sacrifice of Christ that you've placed your faith in, you'll be destined for destruction forever. There's no hope for you apart from Jesus. It sounds unloving, but it's the most loving thing I can tell you this morning. We need Christ. And so by faith, we get to live in a state of peace with God because all, again, was satisfied in Christ Jesus. The second thing I want you to know about peace, and this one's much shorter, is that faith gives you a sense of peace. So this kind of works into that daily just knowing that I'm at peace with God. Our, our state has been changed, and, and so we, we have peace with God through Jesus. Amen? That's what we read. We have peace with God through Jesus. And so you must understand that the sense of peace rests on the state of peace. You can't have a sense of peace without a state of peace. There must be a state 
of peace. And so we can't have peace before justification, and peace is not a means of justification. Jesus, Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice was the means of justification for us. It's the way in which we're all justified and brought into this family. And so we're justified first. Romans 5, 6 states this extremely clear. So does Romans 5, 8, but we'll look at 5, 6 today. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Please notice the words, while we were still weak. 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we must understand that Christ is not waiting on you to clean yourself up. He's not waiting on you to get everything together. Jesus Christ has already done what He's going to do. Amen? He's given His life for us. He didn't wait until, oh, Kyle's perfect now. Let me, I'll go to the cross for him now. I'll never be perfect. He's not waiting on that. Praise God He's not waiting on that. We'd never get there. While we were still sinners, He looked at us at our very worst and said, I love you enough to give my life for you. And you know what that means for us as believers? Is that we're now called saints according to God's Word. And and so we're no longer identified as sinners. We're certainly still sinning. We're no longer identified as sinners anymore. You're now a saint. And so how much more does God look on His own children and say, I died for you. Even before you were in my family, I died for you. Even before you placed your faith in Christ, I died for you. And you could only place your faith in Christ because... He died for us. And so we can't have peace without it. Peace comes through Jesus. It's gained through Him. It's kept through Him. And so I want to ask, do you experience seasons of peace? Maybe you don't feel like this is full nature of peace daily. Maybe you go through seasons where you're like, man, this is a peaceful season. I'm just talking about the things going on inside of you. It's kind of an up and down roller coaster at times, like I experienced for so long. The reason I ask is because peace is the right now of everyone who believes to know that there's been peace with God made for me, that I can wrestle with these things, and certainly I don't want to just look over my sin. I want to be confessing those things. I love what Luther says, be, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It may be Calvin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So it's this active idea of the Christian to be looking at the sin in my life and trying to purge that stuff from me because of the power of Christ within me now. I'm not trying to clean myself up before Christ. I'm in Christ now, and so I want my life to reflect that in every sense of the word. And so God now sees us as in Christ. And so the problem is, is that when we lose sight of Christ, we stop growing. We lose sight of Christ, we stop reading God's Word, we stop understanding things about who we are. And then uh, Spurgeon draws it out this way. He says that uh, it's in those moments where we're not focusing on Christ. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not nearly as eloquent as Spurgeon is. But he says in those times where we stop focusing on Christ, it's when the, the, the tribulations and the trials and all of those things begin to rob our peace. We begin to get focused on the things going on around us and we stop looking at Christ and who we are in Him. 
And so when we lose sight, we stop growing, our faith grows weak. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are able in that moment to continue growing. We're able in that moment to continue desiring God, to continue running after Him. And so our faith grows strong. I just kind of want to leave you with some Scripture blessings today. And I wrote down a few here that kind of show the difference between those who are walking in peace with God and those who are walking without that peace. And so Psalm 1, 1 through 3, one of my favorite verses I ran across a couple of years ago, it says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way, that means with uh, the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, let's just understand that as God's word today, okay? Be thinking about God's word. His word is on our hearts. It's something we're meditating on day and night. It says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So there's this beautiful picture there painted by the psalmist of, of when we're grounded in God's Word, we become this beautiful tree planted beside this flowing stream, constantly growing, never, never withering, and in all we do, we prosper. And so there's this idea of being close to God's Word, connected to God's Word and things that He says about us that bring peace. I can't think of a more peaceful picture in my mind than a tree beside a stream. It's just something I would love to, to be around. Isaiah 48.22 says this for those who are wicked. It's pretty blatant, right? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Now, again, these are the people who are not in Christ. Isaiah 57 says essentially the exact same thing. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 59, 8 says this of those who do not know peace. It says, the way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. And then I love Psalm 119, 165. We begin to just see something different, this idea of growing in God's Word. It says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And then Isaiah 32, 17 says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. What does that mean? The effect of all that God is doing through Christ Jesus, bringing righteousness to us who are undeserving, the effect of that is peace. But there's now peace with God. And the result of righteousness is quietness and trust forever. I love this idea of my mind in total quietness, and my heart in total quietness, not terrorizing me anymore. And there's just this quiet trust forever, this confidence that God is who He says He is, that God did what He said He did, that Jesus accomplished what the Bible says He accomplished, and because of that, I can know peace with God forever. And I don't have to be tormented by my sin any longer. You and I are justified by faith. We're now at peace with God. And so I want you to imagine how different would our lives look if we were to take God at His word. 
and to begin to remind ourselves of this, instead of falling into the temptation of guilt and shame, if we were to remind the enemy and ourselves that, no, there's been peace with God. It's been made for us. Believing that we have peace by faith. If we were to, uh, we can know peace, we can feel peace every day. We don't have to let that unbelief win. And so when we're worried about the sin and we're uh, allowing it to torment us and to rob us, what we're saying is, is that I don't believe you, God. I don't believe that you did what you said you did. I don't believe that Jesus accomplished what your word says he accomplished. Another thing we may be saying is, is I've never read it. I don't know what it says. And so there's this idea here of being a bit immature in the faith. And I'll be the first to admit, I see that as an immature part of my faith. And that I was allowing Satan to call me something that I wasn't anymore. I had to trust God at his word. Believe what he says. And then what happened for me, and I think what needs to happen for all of us, is that we just remind ourselves of the gospel daily. We think about it daily. It's necessary for all of us to remember the gospel. And, And so you may build that into your prayer time. One of the things I've done is I've just written down some scriptures that remind me now of who I am in Christ. And before I even start praying, I quote those scriptures several times before I even get into my time of prayer. I just want to remind my heart, remind my mind and my spirit of who I am in Christ. Just kind of block out all of those things. And I've got to confess to you this morning that I don't always feel peace. There's still those times where those things torment me. And so what I've learned is I have to know it. I have to know that it's been done. I have to remind myself of it. And then sometimes the only joy that I can have in those moments is knowing that my sin bothers me means that I'm a child of God. Means that the Holy Spirit is working in me. He's trying to help me purge some things out of my life. He's helping me recognize the wrong things that I've been doing the way that I've violated God's word. And sometimes that's just the only joy I can get in those moments. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for reminding me of who I am in you. I'm so sorry for living a life that doesn't please you, for making decisions that didn't please you, for talking to my kids or my wife or anybody in a way that didn't please you, for spending money in a way that doesn't please you, for uh, not giving 100% at my job in a way that doesn't please you for lying about something in a way that doesn't please you. All of those things can become confessions. And they're things that can torment us if we let them, or they can be things that we say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for making me aware of this. Help me to purge this from my life. I can't do it alone. I know that there's peace with God because of Christ Jesus, and I want to be able to sense that peace even now. So there's this honest dialogue that must take place between you and God. For some of us, that just means a dialogue needs to start, right? That we even need to start praying or start uh, reading God's Word and understanding the character and the nature of God. You'll, You'll never learn what you need to learn about God just coming in here on Sunday mornings. You'll never learn what you need to learn about God coming here on Sunday mornings plus going to a home group. 
You'll never learn what you need to learn about God if you come here on Sunday mornings, plus go to home group, plus get involved in like a little smaller Bible study. There must be an active pursuit of your heart for His heart. And the way that we know God is through His Word. It's the way I know that there's been peace. It's the reason we get up and we preach God's Word every week. It's powerful. It's worth reading. It's worth learning. It's worth studying, even if it takes you decades to go through the whole thing. I say that we be committed to God's Word, and may our aim be to deeply understand the gospel of Jesus and the peace that that manger represents so that we can proclaim it until we all know it in full when we're with Christ forevermore. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?